Well, good morning, and of course, happy Mother's Day. On behalf of everybody here, I want to thank you, mothers, because we would not be here if it were not for our mothers. We would not even be in existence. So thanks, mom and mothers, for bringing us into this world. Only you can do that by God's design. And we um, we just want to try to uh, honor you this morning by creating an atmosphere of life and honor for you. Um, I want to look at God's word. And then after the service on your way out, there's a few little gifts for you just to show our appreciation. On the left is a gift of beauty, flowers, to thank you for the beauty that you've brought into our lives. And on the right is, I think, some sweetness and goodness for the sweetness and goodness that you have brought into our lives. So be sure as you walk out through the steps uh, to grab a little gift on your way out. I want to um, we're going to be in Second Timothy, chapter three this morning. But before we get there, I want to just before I get too deep and serious, lighten some things up with a little bit of humor. So this is a you know, you're a mother if. You know, you're a mother if. You only have time to shave one leg at a time. You know, you're a mother if you hide in the bathroom to be alone. You know your mother if your child throws up and you catch it. And you know your mother if somebody else's child throws up and you just keep eating. Uh, you know your mother if when you hire a babysitter because you haven't been out on a date for a long time and then you spend half the night talking about the kids and calling in and checking in on the babysitter. Uh, you know you're a mother if you hope ketchup is a vegetable because it's the only one your child eats. Or you find yourself cutting your husband's sandwiches into unusual shapes. Or you can you just can't bear to give away those baby clothes because it's so, so final. You know your mother if you stop criticizing the way your mother raised you. I think you have to be a certain age to get that one. You know your mother... Lastly, if you read that the average five-year-old asks 437 questions a day and you're so proud of your child for being way above average. <laughs> this is, next one is a mother's dictionary. So these are words in a mother's vocabulary and how she might define them. Full name, what your mother calls you when you are in trouble. Grandparents, the people who think your children are wonderful, even though they're sure you're not raising them right. Dumb waiter, one who asks if the kids care to have dessert. <laughs> Feedback, the inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate strained carrots. Defense, what you better have around the yard if you're going to let the kids play outside. Drooling, how teething babies wash their chins. Impregnable, a woman whose memory of labor is still vivid. <laughs> Independent, how we want all of our children to be as long as they do what they are told to do. Look out, what it's too late for your child 
to do by the time you scream it. Puddle, small body of water that draws other small bodies wearing dry clothes into it. Show off any child who's more talented than yours. Top bunk, where you should never put a child wearing Superman jammies. And then lastly, two-minute warning, when the baby's face turns red and she begins to make those familiar grunting noises. Two-minute warning. Well, it's not in the bulletin, but the I've entitled this sermon, uh, When the Sacreds Meet. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the passage that we're going to look at, there are two very, very sacred things. And what I mean by sacred, the, the word means blessed, holy, set apart for a very specific use by God. It has a very specific purpose. And in this passage that we're going to read, we're going to find sacred motherhood meeting with the sacred scriptures and the glorious result when those two sacred things come together for the purposes of God. So I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ alone. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So first, we have in this passage what Paul calls the sacred writings. And in this passage, Paul, uh, a tenured apostle, a tenured disciple, is writing to young Timothy. He has discipled him. He has mentored him and he has given him responsibilities. He's put Timothy in leadership positions in the church, various things that he has asked Timothy to do. And so, in essence, Timothy is the future of the church. And Paul knows this. And Paul's in his final days and he's writing these words from prison. As a matter of fact, history tells us that shortly after that these words were written, Paul was put to death. He was martyred for his faith by the crazed Roman emperor Nero. And the way he was put to death was the same way that John the Baptist, another believer and disciple of God, was put to death. And that is, he was decapitated. So Timothy's a young man. He's what we would call 20-somethings or 30-somethings. And Paul is giving him his final, a, a final charge, if you will. I think Paul, in his other letters... We learn that he knows the end is near. So he's thinking about this young guy, this disciple. He's thinking about his faith and and his future. And in this passage, he gives him a charge to press on 
in the ministry. And he puts it like this. And he, and he, he had just described how things are going to go from bad to worse and you're going to be persecuted. Paul's been persecuted. He was rescued through all these things. But in light of kind of a gloom and doom atmosphere that he's just written and created with his words, he says this to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And that word continue doesn't just mean keep running or pressing on. The, the word continue here means to remain. So it's not just don't stop. It's, it's kind of a don't even move. Because you're exactly where we need you to be, Timothy. So continue, remain in that. Now, as somebody who has done construction over the years, a lot of construction it encapsulizes that word because it's all about taking the different building components and putting them in the right place before you nail them down, before you put them together, if you're building a house or deck or whatever it is. So a lot of construction is taking the materials and putting them where they belong. Sometimes you have to shift it a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right or up a little bit higher if you have a, somebody with you and they're trying to put it in place. And when it's in, in the position, that's when you nail it home. So building something requires that so that the end product is right. If this, if these floor joists were not carefully put into place and you walked in this building, you'd be doing this and the sheathing would be coming up. Same thing with the roof. There's been something at work in Timothy throughout his life that has been putting him in place. Something that's been working on his heart and his soul. Something that's been shifting him a little bit to the left when he needs to go that direction. And then back to the right. And, and then lifting him up a little bit higher and then bringing him down a little bit lower. So he is where God needs him to be. In order for the church of Christ to be built. He's been leveled a few times like these Studs in our walls, leveled, plumbed. And the tool that has been used to, to work on his soul has been the sacred scriptures. The sacred scriptures, the words of God that have been set apart for mankind in this world to make him wise for salvation, to instruct him in how he can live for God and believe in God. So who was doing this instructing? Verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So who were Timothy's teachers? Well, no doubt the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul mentored him. He discipled him. He invested in Timothy. He went on missions trips with Timothy. He gave responsibility to Timothy. And so Paul and other church greats that you would. If you will, there were the church greats, the people that God was using in that day, just like he's using different people in our day and time to speak to the world and to speak to the saints. And so Timothy rubbed shoulders with many of the greats and they played a part in instructing him and bringing God's word to him. But there was also influence of the past that scripture actually identifies. And that's if you went back to. Chapter 1 in 2 Timothy. 
the Apostle Paul says he's thanking God for Timothy. He remembers his tears and he wants to see him. And then he says in verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy's mom and grandmom had a sincere faith, not a tepid faith, not a weak faith, not a struggling faith, a solid faith. Paul knows this. He recognizes it. And he sees that same kind of gritty faith in Timothy. And he's drawing Timothy's mind back to that. He's making this connection in his final charge to Timothy. He's bringing him back to his childhood so that Timothy will will relive this and remember this and the powerful connection that has been made between motherhood or his child rearing and the sacred scriptures. Because his mother loved God and lived for God. She lived out the book, the storybook that she read to him, the Bible. So throughout his life, if it wasn't grandma, it was mom, Lois or Eunice. They're taking this, this young man, this young person. They began to teach him from the very early years the story of redemption through mom's eyes. As we do on Communion Sundays, they began to teach him the songs of God, God's tunes through the Psalms. And they they taught him the law and read the prophets to him as she nurtured him. So throughout his life, he is being exposed, inundated with, uh, confronted with, soothed with, healed with the sacred writings, the sacred scriptures. And I'm sure, like many mothers today, there had to be a point in, in Eunice's thinking, is he getting this? I'm really investing myself and maybe I'm giving assignments. Is he getting this? Is he hearing me? Are you hearing me? Because I don't really see any fruit. And yet through the time, those questions were answered because there came a time when it was noticeable that Timothy was embracing the sacred writings for his own heart, not just because mom wanted him to be in the in the writings, but because he wanted to be in the writings, because he wanted to love God on his own. There came that point. Now, how do I know that? Because Paul also recounts his childhood in Acts chapter 16. It's interesting how we get these little snippets into Timothy's childhood and how God developed him to be a leader in the church. Because in Acts chapter 16, the first two verses, Paul comes to Derby and Lystra And when he he arrived in this place, a disciple was there. And his name was Timothy. And he was the son of a Jewish mother, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So before Paul and the other church greats got their hands on him, before Paul ever met him, He had already been honed. He had already, people had already begun to notice his godliness, to notice his heart and his love in a way that came out through service. As a matter of fact, he already had an established reputation for being a man of faith that wants to serve Christ and his church before the great apostle ever met him. How is that possible? Well, there was an influence on his life 
a daily dripping influence on his life of the sacred scriptures being lifted up, shifted high and low, left and right by his mother. Eunice. She taught him the book. She lived by the book. And I think it's interesting and scripture wants us to know and puts it right in there. His mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek. Just throws that in there. And you know what that means for a Jewish mindset. It's not just saying, you know, he's American and he's Italian or she's Italian. Greek means pagan. Has a pagan father, Jewish mother, which means he was raised in the faith. Greek father means his dad didn't even believe in the God of Scripture. So his dad had his set of gods. He had his set of heroes. He had his set of stories of Zeus and Thor and Athena and the others. And he had his way that he dealt with his gods and interacted. And perhaps, we don't know, perhaps he told stories to little Timothy. But mom told her stories too. And in the end, mom's stories won out. It was mom's stories. It was mom's teachings. It was mom's lifestyle that captured his heart. He adopted that and he began to follow in her steps. When Paul met Timothy, Timothy was young. But the church was young. Church was young when Paul met Timothy and the church needed Timothy's at that time. The church needed these kind of recruits, these kind of disciples in order for Christ to build it because he builds his church with saved souls and the lives that they live. It needed a man who had been schooled in the word, who had been honed and shifted and positioned. Timothy was exactly what Paul was looking for, for the next steps of the church. And of course, all of this points, I think, to the power and the dynamic when you take these two sacred things that God has created, you take the word of God, but then specifically with sacred motherhood. See, moms have. Moms touch hearts in a way that dads can't touch hearts and vice versa. But that's the whole point, right? I mean, siblings can touch each other's hearts in only ways and, and husbands and wives. But God has designed mothers very uniquely to reach hearts in specific ways. And when you take that that ability and that gifting and then you you couple it with this sacred power of the word of God. It's this powerful dynamic that takes place because Christian moms don't want to just bring babies into the world. They don't want to just bring children into the world. They want children of God. They want babies that are believers, babies that love Christ. It's easier to make babies than it is to make disciples. The Christian mom's willing to do both. I like there's a powerful scripture in, in John 12. If who um, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So now we're talking about God's family. Then the apostle makes it clear. These are children born not of natural descent. Nor of human decision or a husband's will. But born of God. 
You take everything that goes into, say, what we would say, family planning. We are all here by natural descent. We all had somebody in some way, something happened, mom and dad, whatever the situation was, a decision was made for a child to be born. When it comes to the kingdom of God, that's not our decision to make. It's not mom's decision to make for her children to be a part of the family of God. See, we can make that for our kids. We can say, I'm going to at least try to have some kids. And that's our decision. But John is telling us the way the kingdom works is that moms can't make that decision. No matter how much your mom loves you and will do everything within her power to bring you to the threshold of Christ, that's all she can do. This decision has to be made by God. Not mom and dad. Very interesting verse. Natural descent. And I, and I bring it up because I think a lot of times for kids, it's a temptation for us. If our parents are really godly. To think, well, my blood runs in, you know, I got their blood in me and, and uh, I got God's favor. I'm in. I'm in the kingdom. There's no way in the world God would keep their son or daughter out because they're such servants. But it's not it's nothing natural that can be passed down as far as salvation goes. We have to as children, we have to do our own believing, we have to do our own repenting. And God has to give us the gift of faith to become sons and daughters. So our our encouragement in that verse is children, look to God. That's what your moms want you to do. Look to God for your salvation. But that doesn't mean that there aren't perks with having godly parents, right? And a godly mother. What are some of the perks? Well, the perks are that you are surrounded. You're like dipped in this atmosphere of godliness. And there's scarcely a day that goes by, wanted or not, that you are not reminded of the grace of God. That's what you have. Not everybody has that in this world. Some people don't know the stories of redemption. But you do because you were raised with it, thanks to mom. And so at any time, being exposed to that, mom has done a lot of legwork. So there are perks for these efforts. But all she can do is bring you to the threshold. You have to choose. You have to embrace Christ as your pearl of great price. John Piper says... God ordained the family not just to be fruitful and fill the earth with people, but to fill the earth with instructed people, to fill the earth with taught people. The family is a place where the next generation is born and where the next generation learns how to live. Do you see what's happening here? So motherhood, yes, propels or, or procreates the physical, but also plays this very important role in the spiritual. In the life to come. We get that picture. You take something as simple as a mother rocking her child to sleep. And maybe humming or singing a praise song. Embedding some kind of Christian truth through song. That child gets used to that, that tone of voice. Maybe gets used to that tune or those words. And there's this... This incredible bond that takes place of trust. 
His mom is there for the physical, but is imparting the spiritual at every opportunity. So that that child grows up thinking that the world perhaps is as safe as mom says it is. There is a God out there. All of these simple mundane tasks of motherhood and sometimes irritating tasks of motherhood can be used by God to bring a child to the threshold of believing. Hugging, holding, feeding. They run to you just to have that owie kissed and magically it's all better. They're back out playing from mom's kiss. Memorizing, storytelling, coloring, role-playing, living out the faith. That's how it's passed down. So you're, you're taking the real needs of the natural world and you're imparting the needs of the spiritual world. Now, Eunice did a good job with Timothy. And Timothy wasn't just a church leader. He becomes a church leader, but he also literally becomes a part of the sacred writings himself. We have two letters addressed to his name. And so as a means, you're thinking about Paul's on his way out. He's entrusting the future of the church to people like Timothy. And as a means to encourage him, he doesn't even draw on his own influence. He says, Timothy, look back. Look behind you. Look at the path that you have walked. And when you look at the path that you have walked, I want you to see who was there all along teaching you the faith. It's your mother. And he, he brings Timothy back there, I think, because that's where the trust is built. I can trust mom to feed me when I'm hungry and, and to put a, a Band-Aid on my scratch in my alley. Maybe I can trust the words that she's speaking to me and the stories that she's telling me to be true. See the connection? It's hands and feet of the gospel. It's very powerful. And there was this urgency here. There's an urgency for Timothy to be the man of God that he has been honed to be to serve the church. That urgency stands today. The urgency to make disciples, the urgency for the church to have people to step through the ranks for positions to be filled. It hasn't changed. It's a mission of the Christian family. It's no secret that many Christians are laying responsibilities. Christian parents are laying responsibilities to the side, not taking the responsibility to make sure that their children are exposed to the gospel, to make sure that it's real, that it works, that it's to be lived out. It's believed that God is real and, and showing how God interacts with their lives. The church is still in need of Timothy's, which means it's still in need of the Apostle Paul types that would mentor Timothy's, which means it's still in need of mothers that would teach their children the sacred scriptures. I know that they're intertwined, the scriptures and motherhood, but I want to talk a little bit about sacred motherhood because by God's design, and this is a little more obvious to us, I think, but by God's design, motherhood plays a crucial part in Humanity in creation and in redemption. It played a crucial part before the fall as God's cultural mandate to procreate. Call and plays a crucial part 
as a part of the fall, because it is through the womb of the woman that the Savior came in to reverse the curse and to undo the fall and continues to play a crucial part of the reversing of the curse. A mother, by serving her Lord through motherhood, by worshiping God through motherhood, by embracing her very unique role, is, plays a part in reversing the curse through the power of God. Motherhood is it's sacred. It's set apart. Deuteronomy 28. For blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. So it's, it's different. Motherhood is a blessed thing. Motherhood in and of itself is a marvel. It's an absolute miracle marvel how the whole process takes place. How a woman's body adapts and shifts and goes through different changes physically and hormonally, all just for this little new life that she has growing inside of her. It's, it's incredible. If you do the if you're willing to do the medical research on it, you, you will be astounded at how precise things have to take place in order for a life we take for granted to come into the world. It is absolutely miraculous. And I think the encouragement in this message, it's, it's aimed not just at moms, but Christian moms. The encouragement here is for the moms that have embraced motherhood as their means of worship. You see, they see it unlike the culture who now motherhood is kind of, well, it's already shifted. It's not as honored as it once was. It's not as esteemed. And now it's, sometimes it's a hindrance. It's something in the way. It's a guilt trip. But there, there are moms that have, have embraced this based on what sacred scripture tells them. And they see it. This is a means for me and only me to glorify God. I can do this because I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to marriage because I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to being the mother that God wants me to be. You see, it. it intertwines and interacts with their worship to God. That's, where, that's why sacrifices take place. And as a matter of fact, it's part of their Christian discipleship. Have you ever looked at motherhood as a way for God to disciple mothers, to disciple their children? It's not separated from their worship of God. Motherhood is their worship to God. At the conference that we recently attended, um, somebody, John Piper was there, but he didn't say this. Somebody else actually was quoting one of Piper's statements at a missions conference. I think it's uh, called, uh, well, I shouldn't have brought it up because I can't, the cross or something. It's for, it's for 18, uh, 18 to 25 year olds. It's at the cross. It's a missions conference. Anyway, this guy just made this, this fleeting comment that has stuck with me. As we think about, especially as a dad, but, but as moms, um, as we think about um, our military, you know, and, and most of the military is held in high esteem. We appreciate the sacrifices they make for our freedoms. We have to have a defense, a national defense. And so a lot of times we will proudly send our children off in the military. And we know that there's a risk to it, depending on what position they serve. There's a risk. They may not come home, but it, it, it's in the good interest of all. It's a way that they can worship and honor God. 
And it's a sad thing to do. It's a frightening thing to do when your children are sent out in positions where their lives are at risk. And John Piper made this comment at this missions conference that, yes, as parents, we should send our children out into the mission field, even places where their lives may be in danger for the sake of the gospel, because somebody might believe and a soul might be saved from damnation. And it was so challenging to me because I thought, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my son. He's in law enforcement and it, it can be dangerous. And I know you don't want to get that call. But the idea of sending my kids out into a, a place that's dangerous on the mission field, uh, I don't think so. It's a different kind of dangerous. But look, look at the fallacy and what I think is important. Do, do we look at opportunities at, at motherhood and fatherhood as honing our kids, shifting left and right, so that they have this perception and mindset that I'm God's servant. And what I have been entrusted with, the gospel, this is a matter of life and death. This is important. And to be used by God to take it places where my life may be in danger, it's an honor. We send our kids out into military and it's an honor. How convicting that was to me when I heard that. So kids, you're all going out, all of you. All of you are going out. We've already got it planned after the service. There's a plane. No, I'm just kidding. Motherhood. Madeline Somerville, as we think about the sacredness, she says, imagine building a soul inside of you, slowly creating fingers and toes, a life that will last decades while you sit reading the paper, doing laundry, Drive to church, listen to a sermon, stand in line at the grocery store. You're making a person, a little being that will grow and smile and laugh and hate and cry and be in the world because of you. That's what happens with motherhood. I think it was a few years ago, somebody on Facebook, some mother wrote something to the effect of, uh, I'm making a baby. What'd you do today? It's amazing. It's a marvel. The Christian mother has brings this purpose into it and her and her whole motherhood is is defined by scripture. It takes us all the way back to Genesis 4, 1, when Eve makes this comment, the beginning of humanity. I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. You see that attitude? You see that shift? It's not just that I had a baby, but God is all in it. I had a baby because of God. God is with me. I'm doing this for God. It's a gift of God. All of it. My ability to nurture, to train. The fact that I even have the scriptures at my disposal. It's all of God. It's with the help of God. And that's how Christian mothers look at raising their children. You know, just because being a Christian doesn't make us automatically good at anything. And you can be a mother and you can be a Christian but not necessarily be a good Christian mother. Of course, that works for everything. But what do you got to do to be a good Christian mother? You don't get that stamp when you get saved. You got to work at it. Like Paul says in 12.1, you got to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You got to work at it. You got to submit. You got to surrender. But God's grace is sufficient as we find in our discipleship because even in our weaknesses... Things that we thought we could never do. Next thing you know, God's strength comes through. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, we want to honor you today with God's Word. And I think one of the ways we do that is not just on Mother's Day, but be a family, be a church body that honors life and that treats mothers with the same kind of value and honor that Scripture puts upon them. And so we want to challenge ourselves today. How do I think about motherhood? How do I treat my mom? How do I treat the mother of my children? How do I treat the ladies in this church or mothers-to-be? How do we look upon expecting mothers? Our goal as disciples is to bring our way of thinking elevated up to God's value system. And God values motherhood, treasures it. It's an important, valuable, priceless tool in the kingdom of God. So we want to honor you today. And I just want to close with the same exhortation that Paul gave Timothy when he said, continue and encourage you moms to continue in your Christian motherhood as you are touching lives. There are young people that are filling the needs of this church, kingdom purposes, because of your instruction. And sometimes kids at New Covenant Fellowship, I call them kids because I'm old and if you're younger than me, you're a kid. But sometimes kids at New Covenant Fellowship fill the ranks almost seemingly before they should have to. Because there are positions that open up that aren't filled. And who comes up but our youth, these kids from these homes, these Christian homes. I might not do it very well, but I'll do the best I can. And we have young people serving in almost every area of this church. It's a beautiful thing. But if you trace it back, you can trace it back to nurturing and training. And I can tell you from experience, a lot of the service things that happen, like worship and things that at least I'm involved in, the kids that are too young to even drive themselves, guess who brings them? Mom. Guess who's keeping an eye on them? Mom. See, all those little things driving to and fro, it is an act of worship. It's a, it's, it's a moment of discipleship and investment in the kingdom of God, So continue in that. And I want to just to lighten things up. I got to close with a poem. And it is um, it's one of my favorite, most dearest mother. Mother's Day poems. It's very short and sweet. And uh, <clears throat> I got it off of an episode of Tim, the tool man, Taylor. And for those of you that are old enough, you have watched Tim, the tool man, Taylor. And sometimes on his show, as he's advertising tools and projects, he's got some construction guys. And some of these construction guys are typical construction guys and they're biker guys. And there's this one guy, Peter Bilker. He's your typical biker guy. He's got the leather vest, the jeans. He's got the tattoos. He's got the beard, scraggly hair and all this kind of stuff. And he wants to, he has written something. And he, he calls it, Ode to My Mother. And he says, who etched this tattoo in her purple moo Mother. Mother. And who posted bail every time without fail? 
mother, mother. And who rushed to the car with my severed thumb in a jar? Father, father. But who sewed it back on when the doctor was gone? Mother, mother. And then he says, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day.